Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Every day is game day, amen? Now, with the most important being the game of life. And with that said, I, we've been in a series that we've called Games People Play. Games People Play, where we've been looking at those old games that many people played back in the day that kind of correlate, um, correlate quite nicely with the life and real life events that we see happening today. And, and today is the last one in the series, and I've called this one Win, Lose, or Draw. Win, Lose, or or draw. Now, you may not be familiar with that one. How many are familiar with Pictionary? Pictionary? Right, so that game is, is, is similar to Pictionary in, in, in that players have to convey words and phrases to the teammates by drawing images on a paper. And the instructions include two ways to play. First, there's a team play, team play, and there's a game board play. And the object of the team play uh, game is to be the first team to make eight correct guesses. And the object of the game board uh, way to play is the first one to collect four different colored pawns and the, what they call the ace in the hole card. And it was based on an old um, TV game show back in the day. Who, I don't, those of us who are older than 50, Vicki Lawrence, remember them? NBC aired it back in 1987. Well, my recollection of the game was it was a fun game back in the day. And, 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 and most of us have heard the statement um, given given the win, lose, or draw, but most of us have heard the statement, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. Help me out, somebody. It only matters how you, how you play the game. It doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's how you've played the game. Now, you may have, you, you know, you may have ascribed to that uh, thought process, or you may, may not. Um, I don't think I necessarily agree with that um, because I, I believe it does matter to people whether you win or lose. Come on, somebody. I, 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 I just think it does. I mean, I personally would rather win than lose. I, I, that, is it just me? Okay. And I believe that, that the desire to win is inherent in most of us. Now, let's take an informal poll. Show of hands, uh, just in the room. You can do it. I can't see you, but... but but how many of you would prefer to lose than to win? Just put, throw your hands up. Just, just throw your hands up. Come on. It doesn't matter if you win or lose, right? So that, oh, oh, don't, don't, I'm not even going to say anything. <laughs> Let's just say in this room only one hand went up, and I'm not sure I believe her when she says that. Now, let me tell you something. I think the desire to win was placed there by God. And it's an altogether biblical sense that God has put in all of us. Now, Paul picked up on it when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, he says, You know that in a race all the runners run, but only, the one, only one gets the prize. So what does it say? Run to win. So run to lose. Help me out, somebody. What does it say? Run to lose. Win. One, one translation says, run in such a way as to win. He said it in, in Philippians again, Philippians 3.14. So I run straight towards the goal in order to 
win the prize, which is, God, which is God's call through Christ Jesus uh, to the life above. Now listen to me. Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, says if you're going to play, you might as well play to win. In fact, he's insisting that you play to win. And at least as it relates to your spiritual journey before the Lord, we should all be in it to win it. We should all be in it and strategizing to see how we can win this, this thing. Now, the question is, how do we do it? And how, how does one go about, quote, unquote, winning the race that God has put before each and every one of us? And how do we know if we're winning? How do we know if we're winning? Well, in most competitive sports, it's the one who crosses the, 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 the finishing line first. That's who they declare the winner is. The team who scores the most goals or the, the last man standing in a physical contact, contest. Concerning the business world, the world says it's the one who dies with the most toys and the properties. That's the winner. The Rockefellers, the Gates, the, the Hiltons, the, the Rothschilds, every, every one of them are probably having a hard time since this COVID thing has, has hit us. But the Bible says the one who dies with the most toys, you heard me say it before, is still, help me, help me, is still dead. The one who dies with the most toys, that's not the winner. That person is still dead and, and would have to give an account to the judge of both the living and the dead. Who might that be? Anybody know who that is? God, his son, Jesus Christ. Now listen, this is what the Bible says about the judge of the living and the dead. That's the person who, who ultimately every single one of us will answer to according to what the scripture says. Those who are still on this earth and those who have passed on. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I give you a command in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. Listen, the one who will judge the living and the dead by his coming and, and, and his kingdom. <laughs> he told us to, in Acts chapter 242, he told us to preach to the people and to tell them that he is the one whom God chose to be the judge of the living and the dead. First Peter 4, 5, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And so, friends, according to the Scripture, we're all going to give an account of how we play out our lives before God and the Son, Jesus Christ. And there will be winners and there will be losers. There will be winners and there will be losers. Now, what there won't be is a, somehow a tie or a draw, meaning a stalemate, a uh, a separate place for those who are kind of half in and half out. My pastor used to say Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Come on, somebody. My Catholic brothers and sisters of which I was raised, they came up with a concept for those who would not quite measure up or make it into heaven, but not bad enough to go to hell. And they named it purgatory, a place where you can still purge your sins. And if you commit a sin not leading to death, people somehow had the ability to pray you out of it once you breathe your last. A, a, a place of limbo. Not heaven or hell, but an in-between place. Now, there's two words you will not find in the Bible. Listen to me. Purgatory or limbo. Did you hear me? It's not, it's not going to be in the scriptures. That, you're not going to find it there. In fact, concerning those, those who approach their walk with a half-hearted measure, this is what the Spirit says in Revelation 3, 14. Listen, 
He says, write this to the angel of the church in Laodicea. The amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of all God has made says this. Listen, I know what you do, that you are not hot or cold. You are not hot or cold. I'm, tell, I'm talking to someone. Do, do, not, do not tune me out this morning because we are entering a time in our history where things are not falling apart, they're falling into place, but there are so many people who think they're going to stay what I call spiritual Switzerland's and neutral. And so they, I'm not going to go over there, and I'm not going to go over here. I'm just going to stay right here in the middle. Well, the book of Revelation speaks to you. It says, I know what you do, that you are not hot or cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, <coughs> what did he say? I'm ready to spit you out of my mouth. In other words, it makes him sick. You say I'm rich, and I become wealthy, and I do not need anything. But you do not know that you are really miserable, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold made, made pure and fire so that you can be truly rich. Buy from me white clothes so that you can be clothed and so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Buy from me medicine to put on your eyes so that you can truly see. Listen, listen. I correct and punish those whom I love. Should I say it again? I correct and punish those whom I love. Any any. Moms and dads out there, come on, right? We have children, right? Do they always act right? They don't always act right. Now, if you have to correct them or punish them, does that mean you hate them? Quite the opposite. It means you love them. When my kids were small and we had a little corner house and, uh, uh, and in Sunrise and we'd be playing outside and every now and then the ball would go into the streets and my kids, we'd tell them, before you run into the street, look both ways. And the one or two times they ran out there, didn't look. What did dad do? I didn't quite whip him. <laughs> someone, someone, someone said whip him. No, but I screamed at him. What are you doing? Now, and me screaming, and then they'd be like, when they were small, sometimes they don't understand. They think dad is mad. It's not that dad is mad. Dad doesn't want you to die. Dad loves you. And so... The Bible says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to us? And he turns around and he says, he's the ultimate father. He's the ultimate father. And he says he loves, he corrects and punishes those whom he loves. So be eager to do right and change your hearts. Listen. And your lives. Change your hearts and change your lives. Now, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you will eat with me. That speaks of relationship. Again, we're not, we're not serving a religion. We're checking off a religious box. We serve a risen Savior and he wants a personal relationship with every single one of us. Amen. It goes on to say in verse 21, it says, those who uh, have a draw will have the victory. Help me out, somebody. Those who lose, help me out, somebody. Help me, somebody. I just need to know if anyone's paying attention. Those who win the victory will sit with me on my throne 
in the same way that I won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. Everyone who has ears should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And so according to this passage, it's only those who win the victory, those who win the victory that will sit with Christ. Winning may not ultimately matter in games of sports, although I tend to disagree, I still would rather win than lose, or the rat race of business, but spiritually, ultimately, winning (laughs) matters, matters before God as he defines it. And so if you want to win in the way that matters the most, you ought to listen. What did he say? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen to who? Listen to the voice of the Spirit. Listen to the Lord. Listen to God. And so that brings us to our text this morning. A fellow by the name of Achan, son of Zerah, he found this out the hard way. How many know that you can make some decisions that not only affect you adversely, but would also ruin your entire family? Come on, somebody. There are people who decide to do things in a moment's notice, and they think, oh, it's just going to affect me. And in the end, it doesn't just affect them. It affects their entire families. And the Bible uh, uh, allows us to see this story so that we can take note and, and take it as a warning. Achan, son of Zerah, in Joshua chapter 7, chapter 7, Joshua and the children of Israel had just come off an incredible victory. The walls of Jericho fell with a, with a great crash and quite supernaturally. Read the story when you get a chance. A remarkable story. The first thing God did after the Jews were wandering in the desert for 40 years, he, he had them cross the Jordan, and, and he had them go up against the most fortified city at the time on the planet. It, would, it, would have been, it was considered impregnable, except how many you know that there's nothing that God can't get over, under, or through? Come on, somebody. That's the God we serve. And so as they walked in the power of the Holy Spirit, they saw that supernaturally as well, and they, and they did exactly what God told them to do. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to the, to, to, the, to the warmongers, and it didn't make a whole lot of sense to maybe the politicians, but it made a whole lot of sense to God. If you just do what I say, you'll get the victory. And the walls of Jericho came down with a great crash. And so next on the list was a, was a, was a small city called A, where they, where, where the greatest recorded victory at the time was quickly followed by the worst defeat imaginable. Joshua chapter 7, verse 2. Joshua sent some men from Jericho to A, which, he, which was near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel. He told them, go to A and spy out the area. So the men went to spy on A, and later they came back to Joshua and said, there are only a few people in A, so we will not need all our people to defeat them. Send only two or 3,000 men to fight. There's no need to send all of our people. So about 3,000 men went up to A, but the people of A did what? Beat them badly. Understand, they just had this remarkable victory with this fortified city, and the very next city was a small little thing, and they got their butts whooped. The people of A killed about 36. Israelites, and then chased the rest from the city gate all the way down to the canyon, killing them as they went down the hill. And when the Israelites saw this, they lost their courage. Now, how could this be? They just defeated the most fortified city on the planet. And at the time, without too much of an effort at all, but the next verse tells us what happened. 
It says, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now, the devoted things that the Bible is talking about is things that God says, I'm going to give you this city, but as a, as a testament to the fact that I've given you this city, this particular city, I don't want you to go in there like you won the victory, and now you're going to take all the spoils for yourself. Matter of fact, I want you to burn it all and dedicate it to me. And so this guy decided, you know what, mm, some of the stuff in there, it looks a little in, inviting to take. So that's where, that's where we were. The devoted things were things that they were instructed by God to, to be destroyed or devoted to him by fire after the defeat of Jericho. And unbeknownst to the leaders, Achan pilfered a few of those things to keep for himself. Well, he thought nobody noticed, but how many you know that God notices? Amen. How many of you know that we could be doing things that we think nobody else notices, but God does, all right? And because of his selfish act, the hand of God, unbeknownst to them, had lifted from the children of Israel, and what should have been an easy victory turned into a dangerous defeat. Dangerous not just for those 36 men who actually lost their lives, Dangerous because when the word got out to the surrounding nations of the defeat of the, of the Jews, our nations that were in complete hostility toward them, listen to me, Joshua knew that this was the beginning of the end for them. And so he tears his clothes, he falls on his face before the ark of the Lord, and the elders of Israel did the same, and they stayed there until evening. And he prayed like he never prayed before, like their lives depended on it. You know Why? Because their lives depended on it. Someone needs to hear me today. Because <laughs> we are entering into a time where we need to start praying. Come on, church. Like our lives depending on it. Because we are at a crossroad in our nations that if it goes this way, the church is in trouble. If it goes this way, we might have bought a few more years. Come on, somebody. Our lives are depending on it. Joshua 7 uh, verse 7 says, Then Joshua said, Lord God, you brought our people across the Jordan River. Why did you bring us, out, uh, us this far and then just let the Amorites destroy us? <coughs> we would have been happy to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Lord, there's nothing I can say now. Israel has been beaten by the enemy, and the Canaanites and all the other people in this country will hear about this and will surround and kill us all. Then what will you do for your own great name? And I love, I love God's response. He said, stand up, Joshua. Why are you down on your face? The Israelites have sinned. They have broken the agreement I commanded them to obey. They have taken some of the things that I commanded them to destroy. They have stolen and lied and have taken those things for themselves. That's why the Israelites cannot face their enemies. They turn away from the fight and they run because I've commanded that they be destroyed. I will not help you anymore unless you destroy everything as I commanded you. Now go. Make the people holy. Tell them, set yourselves apart to the Lord. For tomorrow the Lord, the God of Israel, says some of you are keeping things that he commanded you to destroy. You will never Listen, listen, you will never defeat your enemies until you throw away those things. Somebody 
Somebody needs to hear me today. Pay real close attention. Because the reason that so many people are having such a hard time in their walk and, and, and trying to stay on the path that God has called them to, it, it, a lot of times it's because of the stuff that you won't get rid of. Come on, somebody. It's because of those hidden things or what I call sin in the camp. Anyone ever heard that term before? There must be sin in the camp. You never heard it before? How many have heard the term before? There's sin in the camp, sin in the camp. This is the story that that phrase comes from in the Bible. So many of our modern-day phrases come right out of the Bible, and this is where that phrase comes from, sin in the camp. It's where we're hiding and holding on to things that we should not be holding on to. Biblically, we know it's the wrong thing to do. We know what the Word of the Lord says about this uh, relationship or about this activity or about what's going on, but because we want to do what we want, because our flesh wants what our flesh wants, we decide we're going to hold on to it. Yes, we're still, we're, we're still part of the, the, the family, the Israeli family. We're, part, we're still Christians. We're still Christ followers. But we've allowed sin in the camp. And when you're holding on to those sinful things, whether it be an attitude or behavior or a lifestyle, God won't. Not that he can't. He won't bless you. He can't bless you. He won't bless you. And it starts to trip you up and it's slowing you down and it's destroying your walk with the Lord. And in some cases, it's not just hurting you. It's hurting the people around you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, help me somebody, what does it say? Let us throw some things Throw off some things. The things that people see. Come on. Help me help me. Let us throw off. Say it with me some way. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out to us. Someone called me last week and this whole, obviously, I said last week that, you know, you don't have to be a prophet or the son of a prophet to see that something has shifted in the atmosphere. Come on, somebody. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And it just feels like we've entered into a period of maybe last times or last days. And they called me uh, uh, Thursday or Friday night because the conversation in their homes had turned into, oh, my goodness, this is, this is going to be bad. This is, this is going to be rough. And he said, and it was so bad that one of them went outside and he, and he said, you know what? <laughs> I, I got to change my ways. He says, he says I, 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 I've got to stop. I got to stop with my drinking. To which I responded, he should have stopped drinking anyway. Come on, somebody. Stop with the partying anyway, you know. But something has shifted and which has caught the attention of anyone who's thinking that change is in the air. That change is in the air. There's a reckoning in the air. And part of that is to get in contact or, or to get serious about really what's going on on the inside of you and the things that you are allowing into your life that may be tripping you up and holding you back. Listen, and entangling you like the Bible says. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And if we don't get rid of them, it's going to continue to trip us up like it did with Achan and the people of Israel. Now, in his case, again, it didn't just affect him. It affected those around him. Joshua chapter 7, verse 14. In the morning, present, you, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward, clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward, family by family. The family that the Lord takes shall come forward, man by man. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. What he did cost the lives of already 36 men, potentially millions, because the victories that the Israelites were having weren't based on their own skills. They were 400 years slaves. Come on, somebody. Then 40 years wandering in the desert. The victories, all their victories came through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God in their lives, and he was bringing them into the promised land as long as they listened to what he had to say. But the moment they didn't listen, the, 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 the hand of protection was pulled off, and, and potentially his sin would have wiped out the entire nation. Now, early the next morning, it says Joshua and Israel came forward tribes by tribes, and Judah was taken. And the clans of Judah came forward, and, and they took the house of the, Zeph, the Zerophites, and he had the clan of the Zerophites come forward by families, and Zimri was taken. And Joshua had his family come forward man by man. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done, and do not hide it from me. And Achan replied, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from, the Babil from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And they are hitting in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath it. And so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath it. And they took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. And then Joshua together with all Israel took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold, the wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent and all he had to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. And then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. And over Achan, they heaped a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, the place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Now listen to me. Achor, where Achan and his family died, means trouble, trouble. And Achan, through the years, have come to mean troubler. So Achor, the valley of trouble, where he died because it caused so much trouble, not just for him but for the entire Israelis, became, that became the name. That it literally means trouble. And his name be, has become troubler, Achan. Folks, if we can't figure out what the wind looks like, 
biblically and we keep doing the same old stupid foolish things not only not only will you bring trouble on yourself like Achan potentially but you're going to bring trouble on your house we could bring trouble on our country now how many know that truth is becoming increasingly more and more difficult to discern anyone ever notice that that truth is becoming more difficult to discern. My friend called me this week, and he told me, he said he was talking with someone, and they got into this debate over abortion, and his friend said, was making the argument that abortion was a, a Christian thing to do. Yeah, we are shocked. In the church, we're shocked. But in the world... Not the way it's, when, when they say plan parenthood, how I many you know that has nothing to do with planning your family, <laughs> okay? And so they, he was arguing that, and I'm like, what? I said the same thing, what? Which is also getting lost in the Black Lives Matter movement as well, because apparently there's millions of aborted black babies that aren't included in those black lives that they are fighting for, the unborn lives. That's not including. And so there are people who are protesting for Black Lives Matter, but if you bring up the, the issue of the unborn lives, well, I came across this video. It's with a black brother, and he's, and he's confronting some medical people who are protesting on behalf of Black Lives Matter. He, there is some language, but I think they'll be able to pass in this church. Just take a look at this really quick. lives matter or just some black lives? The black lives killed by black men matter, right? Yes? The black babies killed in the abortions clinics matter, right? Thought so. The black, the black officers killed by that bastard in, in Minnesota, that matters too, right? Okay. But the black babies that are killed in the abortion clinics don't matter, do they? Medical people. Uh, do their lives matter? Does the future of our black babies matter? Huh? What's up? What's up? Awful quiet now, aren't they? Uh-huh. It's okay if we kill them in the womb, right? But you have a problem when we, you don't seem to really have a problem when we kill them on the streets. Yes, well, we know they're the same is issue. If we, don't, if we don't respect the lives of our unborn children enough to save them and fight for them, our lives mean nothing once we're born. Come on, somebody. Now, listen. I just wish that if they're going to continue to tear down institutions with racist origins, that they start in their own backyard with Planned Parenthood. Because we know that Margaret Sanger, the, the one who started that organization, was a racist white supremacist who spoke at Klan meetings. And the reason she started the, the, the aborting the children were to eradicate black and brown people. Matter of fact, we know that most of the, the abortion clinics are set up in black and brown. Now, when 30 or 40 percent of the babies who are being aborted in this country are from blacks, and blacks only represent, black women only represent, the black community is about 12 percent of the population. And so half of that would be the women, right? Six percent? 
and 40% of the abortions are taking place in the black communities, which were started by a white supremacist racist. Come on, somebody. I wish they'd start in their own backyards. Burn those things down and, and stop with, with the other stuff and start getting honest because we are entering a time where, where people can't figure out right from wrong or good from evil. I'm watching a program uh, this week concerning the, what, what gives us the right to, to enter into the, the kingdom of heaven. Come on, somebody. It was the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, right? It was a blood covenant. But how many of you know that the devil also gets his power from blood as well? The idols and idol worship and, and, and Baal and all those other gods, you know what they required? Child sacrifices. Yes. Yes. And someone asked me the other day, a dear sister, she said, Pastor Rick, there's a lot going on. It seems like it's getting worse. And we've been praying as a church. We've been praying that this coronavirus would just die and leave. And it doesn't seem like God is answering our prayers. She said, what do you think is going on? I said, I think what's going on is if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and heal their land along those lines. She said, well, what are you saying? I said, I don't think our country has turned from anything concerning what they're doing that could possibly have brought on something supernatural like this. There's a thing called repentance that needs to take place as a, as a country in order for, I believe, change to come. In fact, in our country... They've doubled down on what God calls sin. They've now made it lifestyle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Folks, there is sin in our camp. And if we can't figure out where it is or, spend, or we spend all of our time redefining it instead of repenting of it, the only people that are going to be hurt or fooled is ourselves and our children and our children's children. Kanye was blasted recently because he went on a rant. Anyone seen his, his last rant, Kanye? Yeah. Kanye? And it had everything to do with he was speaking against abortion and he became emotional because... He, with his first child, was trying to pressure Kim Kardashian into having an abortion, and she just wasn't having it. And then he became emotional because he said, I would have killed my firstborn child, North. That, that's, it just overcame him. And, then it, and, I, and, and now people, oh, he's crazy, oh, he's, you know, he's this and that, because it's going against the narrative today, which it's calling good, bad, and bad good. But that's what he was talking about. It brought me back to when my wife and I first uh, got pregnant with my, my first daughter. We were young. She was 18. I think I was 20 or 21. And the advice that I got was to, you know what, you're not set up you, you know, to take care of a child right now. Go, the, you have options. You can go have an abortion. And I just looked at them like they had three eyes. Like, 
no, I'm not killing my child. See, that would have been Amanda. That was, that's my oldest. Come on, somebody. That's the girl up here that you see worship, you know, leading the worship. That wouldn't just have been her. That would have been my grandkids, Chris and Lucas. How many know that you take out one life, you take out generations? Come on. Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. 2 Timothy 4.1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. Listen, listen. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. You see, the Apostle Paul saw that there was a time that was going to be coming when people will not put up with sound. Instead, they're going, to, they're going to just tell people, raise up people who are just going to tell them what they want to hear. And they're, and they're, and they're going to turn away from that truth. How many of you know that I'm afraid that we're in that time? I believe we're in that time. People cannot hear truth without losing their minds. And if you call sin, sin, they lose their minds. Matter of fact, they go after you. They try to take your jobs. They, 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 go, they, they, they go after you. Now, now, when we reject the light, when you reject light, you will live in darkness. And when we reject biblical truth, we will live in lies and we'll suffer the consequences of doing it. There's sin in the camp. And when, we, and when we fail to utilize the grace that God provides through his son, Jesus Christ, we will stay in our sins. And my Bible says the wages for sin is death. Now, death will take on a lot of forms. It could take on a lot of forms. There's the death of trust because there's sin in the camp. There's the death of innocence because there's abuses taking place. There's the death of a love, love between two people. And in the case of abortion, someone literally dies, not just them, but every child that would have come through them. I believe God's going to hold people accountable, not just for that, but for the generations that were killed. Now, just, just a reminder, in James chapter 1, verse 13, it tells us not to, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and he's enticed. And, after, and then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth 
to death. And the Bible tells him with, with all that, he gives you a way out. Whenever the temptations come, there's always a way out. Amen? But you have to know the truth. So if you're still on the fence, you know, you, the Bible says, I would rather you were hot or cold. I would rather you were 100% with me or 100% against me. But the fact that you are riding this fence, you're not going to be able to discern what truth is. And so when, and so when lies are presented to you as truth, you're not going to be able to know. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in a nutshell, if, if you want to not lose or end up in a drawer, that middle of the road, but you want to win, how many know that you have to deal with your sin? And you have to call it what God calls it and repent of it. Now, how do we deal with our sin? How do we get the win? Three ways to win. Ready? With our last few minutes in this message. Don't hide it or bury it. Don't hide it or bury it. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and, do, and does what? Renounces them. Not placates them, not makes excuses for them, renounces them, finds mercy. Number two, stop making excuses. Achan didn't admit it until he was caught red-handed, <laughs> all right? Probably because he knew what the consequences were. How do you know the good news of today is under the new covenant? God's not going to stone you, <laughs> okay? Jesus took the stoning for us, amen? He took the punishment for every single one of our sins upon himself. And so we don't have to fear the, the judgment in that way only if we reject Christ altogether. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what? And will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then lastly, we need to get help as necessary. Proverbs eleven fourteen, without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances, which is becoming, again, e even more increasingly difficult today because even as a counselor, as a pastor, if you don't say what they want you to say, they're trying to put you out of business. They don't want you to tell the truth to people concerning their life or their lifestyle or the choices that they make. We need to wake up because we are standing at a crossroad in our country and you will not be able to play spiritual Switzerland neutral. God says, I would that you were either hot or cold and you are going to have to choose. And in choosing, if our country goes one way, we're going to have major, major problems. Start voting your faith. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Start making your faith and the Bible a priority over the people you are putting in power. Because there are people that are getting in power who have 
they don't have God's heart. And the church needs to wake up because there are people in the church who can't seem to figure out that you are on the wrong side of what's going on. Without good direction, people lose their way and the, the more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. That's a great one to memorize. So number one, you don't hide it or bury it. Number two, what's number two? Don't, don't make excuses. And number three, get help as necessary. When you do this, when you do these things, the Bible says that God will give us the power not just to have a tie to win. Anybody want to win? Listen, I don't care if it's a game of Uno. I want to win. <laughs> Pastor Rick is always playing to win. All right? I don't even agree with that statement. I mean, I get it. You shouldn't play poorly. You shouldn't be a bad sport. I get all that. But I always play to win. Whether it's ping pong, video games, fishing <laughs> yes <laughs> and definitely as it comes to my faith in Christ Jesus I am playing to win amen I, I, what are the rules Lord just tell me what the rules are so that I can stay on that path so that I can draw near to you because at the end of the day I want to hear it I want to hear it well done my good and faithful service I don't want to hear I wasted my time in things that just don't matter. In Joshua chapter 8, verse 7, this, this is literally what it says. It says, come out from your ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give you the power to win. That, in fact, was the direct reference to the city of A. When after listening and dealing with sin among them, God gave them a strategy to take the city and to win the battle. And I don't know about you, again, I'd rather win than lose. And as far as God is concerned, there is no draw. You're going to be on one side or the other. The question to you this morning is simple. As it comes to your spiritual walk, are you playing to win? Or are you going to come up short? Hear me. There is no middle ground, biblically. There's no purgatory. There's no limbo. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. 1 Corinthians 9.24, you know that in, all, in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. <coughs> so run to win. Now let me give you this Remind as we close this morning. It says in Revelation 3.21, those who win the victory will sit with me on the throne in the same way that I won the victory and sat down with the Father on his throne. And it says, everyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. And so my admonition to you and to those who are listening online is, Don't bring acor trouble 
on your family. And don't bring a, don't be a spiritual aching, a troubler based on the decisions that you are making. Because there are some decisions that you make that don't just affect you. It affects everyone around you. In his case, it didn't even just affect his family. It affected his entire nation. The decisions you make over the next few months will affect your, your entire nation, which will affect your families. And so let's keep our eyes on, on the prize. If you're going to play, play to win. And that victory starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? The one who gave it off <laughs> up for every single one of us. The one who took the blows so that we don't have to. Someone would say, you know, why are you following Jesus? Why wouldn't I follow him? Who, who, would, have, who would have done what he's done? Who, who else has done what he's done for me? He went to the cross. He took the penalty for every single one of my sins upon himself so that I don't have to pay it. To me, it's a no-brainer. I follow Jesus not out of some legalism or, or, or because I, I have to. I follow him because I'm grateful for what he's done. Come on, somebody. Anybody else grateful for what God has done? Yeah. I follow him because of what I'm grateful for what he's done. And I tell people all the time, he's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't love Pastor Rick more than he loves you. Listen to me. I don't care what, I don't care what you've done in your life. If you will humble yourself, repent, and turn to him, he will not turn away from you. He'll take I mean, Moses was a murderer. The, the, the Apostle Paul stood in judgment and, and watched the church get persecuted and many of the people get murdered. He called them. Okay? And in calling them, he brings them into a relationship with, you, with him and then he starts to change you from the inside out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, somebody. And so the person who you were it's not the same person who you will be when you come into a relationship with him. And I always say, if there's been no change then in, in your walk and in your talk and the things that you allow, then maybe you didn't quite meet the same Savior that I, I've met. Because the moment he walked into my life at 16, 17 years old, my life has radically changed. And he's not a respecter. He says, for I know the plans I have, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. But you have to say yes. You said no long enough. It's time to start saying yes to God. And I always tell my church, and if you want to walk into the God's perfect plan for your life, let your yeses be more than your noes. Amen? Amen? And so... If that's you today, you've not yet submitted your life to Christ and you would like to, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer because he's the answer. He's the answer to all of it. Amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you and I, 
I hear what the Spirit is saying. I need you. I've messed up. And if there's sin in the camp that you know of, while doing the preaching of this message, there's something that you're doing that you shouldn't ought to be doing, husbands, fathers, wives, young people, Be grateful we're under the new covenant. No one's going to drag you to the outside of the city and stone you. Jesus actually took the stoning for you on the cross. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to forgive you for the attitude, the hatred that's been in your heart, the bitterness. Just ask him. He says, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just forgive me and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we, we humble our hearts before you today, and we ask you to forgive us. We thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for us, and then three days later rising from the dead. And we thank you, Lord, that there's a promise that comes with your resurrection, that if, that if you live, we shall live as well. Thank you for the promise of eternal life through the gift of your son. Father, those who have humbled their hearts, I pray, Lord, that this today wouldn't be the end of a journey, but the beginning of a long and lasting journey. Don't, don't let them stop with just the prayer. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Someone say, fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power. Give me the ability to discern right from wrong. I give you permission, God, even to change my heart, change my mind about my worldviews if they do not line up with your worldviews. Things are not falling apart. They're falling into place. There will be winners and there will be losers and I want to be on the winning side of your ledger, not necessarily the world's. In Jesus' name I pray and we all said Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.